0: As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourself and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall for us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led up with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one of his right. One The other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers were even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the God Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers who came up and mocked him, they offered him wine vinegar and said, But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and the darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. With he had said this, he breathed his last.
1: For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord.
2: Well, uh, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be with you. My name's Nick. Uh, I'm one of the staff here. And uh, let me add my warm welcome to those that we've had already. It's great to be with you this good Friday. Um, I want to talk this morning about shame and Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, shame and Jesus' death on the cross. And uh, you might think that's a slightly odd thing to be talking about. Uh, but I wonder if you noticed in that passage that we had read from Luke... Just how much shame Jesus endured as he died. We didn't quite get the trial, but he was uh, publicly vilified in his trial. His his credentials uh, were run through the mud. His story was told by the the people who were um, testifying to what he's done in a a way that was designed really to show the utter madness and foolishness of what he claimed to be. He was then physically abused on multiple occasions. Uh, This grim charade happened where he was he was dressed up as a king and mocked and then he was led up uh, to a wooden cross right up on top of a hill where everyone could see hung there naked and everyone looked on and jeered at him as he slowly died i think it's actually it's really hard to imagine anything more shameful than that jesus died an incredibly shameful death now, uh, why did the people who were crucifying Jesus shame him in that way? I think it was an attempt, really, to, like all shaming, to, to try and bring Jesus down to nothing, uh, to show that the things that he was claiming to be, that they, uh, they had no authority, they had no significance, an attempt to cancel Jesus, if you like. Um, Jesus' crucifixion was carefully designed so as to eliminate him from history. And Here's the thing, right? Uh, Here we are, 2,000 years later, thinking about that death. Something about the cross, right, that even despite the very best attempts of Jesus' worst enemies to annihilate him from history, that we still remember him. We still look at the cross and, and, and go, what happened there? Why was it so important? Why does Jesus' death and shame fascinate us so much? I think part of it is the fact that Jesus' shame cuts against everything that we long for in life, right? His crucif- crucifixion is kind of like the photo negative uh, of our hopes and dreams. And I think we see this very simply by asking the question, uh, do you aspire to what Jesus suffered on the cross? And the answer is, no, of course not. I would never want that to happen to me. It's horrible. It's horrible. We love honour, not shame, right? We love strength, not weakness. We love uh, life, not death. We love success and not failure. We love wisdom and not folly. And yet the thing is, uh, most of us, I think, spend most of our time uh, trying to avoid the things that Jesus experienced on the cross and trying to curate a a better image of ourselves which is less shameful and more honourable. Uh, so, for instance, I'm a, I'm a parent. I'm um, married to Alyssa. I've got three small children. And I think, like many parents, I desperately hope that all my children will sleep. Through the night, from you know the, the, the night they come home from hospital, and then uh, they'll walk before all the other children, and they will excel in every field there is to excel in, in in spelling, in in running, in scootering, in making friends, in um, in in maths, in cross, what you know, you name it, uh, they need to be good at that, and uh, and all of that is uh, so that we look good as parents. Now, progress update: we're four years in, and it's not going that well, <laughs> and I'm now trying actually to. Uh, Create a new image, which is the resilient parent, uh, <laughs> the parent who triumphs over adversity, and that's not going that well either. Uh, I'll tell you that just to say that in, in many ways, in many areas of our life, we crave recognition and honour, don't we? And yet the cross, uh, the cross is nothing like that. The cross is the epitome of everything that we try and avoid. And the other thing about this cross that I think keeps drawing our attention, our gaze, is the fact that the claim of Christianity, the claim of the Gospels, the claim of Jesus himself, was that the person who was there being shamed is not just another man, not just a criminal, uh, not just a political figure, not just a martyr, but that this person was the very son of God. That's why now, our, our second reading, uh, Paul talks about the weakness of God. God. It's of God in the sense that it, it belonged to God. It was His weakness on the cross. The cross, uh, that, that thing that we don't want to happen to us, was something that happened to God. It's an intriguing idea, isn't it? That, that God was there on the cross. And, and I think it's so intriguing, in fact, and so kind of out there, that the people uh, who were mocking Jesus on the cross, this was the basis of their mockery. Um, they knew, right? They knew that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Uh, they were with him. They'd heard him say that kind of thing. That was, ex- in fact, why he was on the cross. And yet they could not accept it. Uh, they could not believe it. And so they call out things like, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Right? And their belief is that God could not have anything to do with the God-forsakenness of the cross. And yet, this is who Jesus claimed to be. Even on the cross, we see it, right? He says, Father, Father, uh, into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, After his resurrection, his disciples worship him. You don't worship a man. You worship God. Even the centurion who's, who's there looking on just after says, gets something of it. He says, surely this was a righteous man, right? This vile event is something that Christians believe happened to God. Uh, Now, perhaps you don't yet believe that Jesus was in fact the Son of God, and uh, that wouldn't surprise me. And if that's you, I'm really delighted that you're with us this morning. Um, The people who were there at at the cross didn't believe it. What I want to do this morning, though, is um, to uh, do a little bit of a thought experiment. Now, if you're if you're a Christian, this is not a thought experiment; this is reality. But uh, if you're not yet a Christian, I want you to come with me uh, on the assumption that, for a sec, Jesus was the Son of God. Now, in the end, you've got to work that out, really, by going away and reading the gospel accounts for yourself and thinking about, uh, are the things that Jesus did and said and claimed to be, is that true? Did he really rise from the dead? Those are the key questions. But if we start from the position that the person who was there on the cross being shamed was the Son of God, what I want to do this morning is ask, well, what does that mean? Why does that matter? Why would he do that? Um, To put it slightly differently, if God was shamed in Christ, um, what does God think about shame? Does he think the same things are shameful as we think are shameful? Uh, what does he think is honourable? And surely that matters because if anyone's opinion matters about what is honourable and shameful, surely it's, it's God's. Uh, we've seen already, right, that our, we long as a, as a world for honour and recognition and despise shame. This is a vital question, is it how does the cross speak to a world that longs for honour? Now, to answer that question, uh, we're going to turn to our second reading, which was from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And um, it'd be great, actually, to open that up now, uh, because I'm going to talk through it, and it'll it'll help you to understand uh, what I'm saying. Um, Paul here is is writing 20 years after the, the death of Jesus... Um, to a group of Christians who were um, pretty proud of themselves and he's helping them think about uh, what does the events of the cross mean for the way that they behave as a church. And he talks about why the shame of the cross was um, so important and uh, he says two two things. First one, Jesus' shame shames what we honour. Jesus' shame shames what we honour. Have a look with me from verse 26. He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Uh, Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. In other words, you were pretty shameful before you became Christians. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So you hear Paul's answer, why did God's son die such a shameful death? Well, part A of the answer is that God chose the cross, and as we'll see, people who look a little bit like the cross in their nothingness, to show the world that the most esteemed aspects of human experience, things like wisdom and success and power, actually don't count for that much in his sight. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, to nullify the things that are. Now, out of all the things that uh, that God clearly shames and opposes at the cross, the one that he most clearly opposes and shames is the human claim that uh, something that we can do or be or have can make us honourable in God's sight. Now, um, would you think for a moment about the Jewish leaders that we read about in Luke's Gospel and what they were trying to achieve when they crucified Jesus? We think of these guys often as the, the bad guys of the story, and in a sense they are, but think about it from their perspective for a sec, what they were trying to do. Um, these were people who had a strong belief that God honoured them. Uh, These were the chosen people of God. They had millennia of history with God. They had His law. They had um, people who delivered messages from God to them. Uh, They had prophets. They had a rich history with God. And when the leaders of this group, the most zealous, the most righteous, the most upright of them crucified Jesus, it was because they thought that they were doing something that pleased God. They thought that they were crucifying someone who was claiming to be God and they thought that they were protecting a real knowledge of God. They thought they knew God. They thought that what they were doing would please Him. And at the cross, actually, for a time, it it looks like they've succeeded, doesn't it? Uh, The pretender Jesus, He's brought to nothing. He gets killed. The Jews prevail over the mob. Uh, The Jews prevail as well even over Pilate, think, if anyone in history had a claim to know God, surely it was these these people, so religious, so upright, so zealous in their desire to honour Him. And yet, who did they actually crucify? Uh, If Jesus is indeed the Son of God, what a mistake. Peter uh, spoke about this just a few months after Jesus' crucifixion too. Uh, some of the people who were there and he said uh, you crucified the author of life you think about an error to make that's a serious one isn't it they'd killed god's messiah and the great irony of the cross is that at the same time it looks like the triumph of human power it looks like a triumph for the romans who were there putting jesus to death it looks like a triumph for the jewish leaders and yet it actually shows their futility That when God came to dwell among humanity, the very best of them, the most religious, the most upright, the most important, their best and wisest and most influential, they crucified Him. And so the cross shames the human claim to know God by its own means. It says, that is not true. You can't do it. your attempts to bring something to God, to honor yourself before Him, are actually shameful. And the thing is, if that's human boasting at its best, when it, you know, at least kind of recognises, yes, there is a God and I need to honour him and please him, uh, what can we say of our other human attempts to honour ourselves? Um, I guess we think of, uh, you know, what does that look like for us in 21st century Adelaide? We, in all sorts of ways, compare ourselves to other people and try and position ourselves in society um, by things like having better houses and better jobs, better marks, those kind of things. What does God think of that? I think the answer is in verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 1, that while in our, kind of as we compare ourselves to each other, we might have a reason to toot our own horn, Uh, actually before God, no one can boast. So the cross is a great relativizer. it's a great leveler, a great flattener, and it shows that from God's perspective, while we might look around and be like, wow, some people are awesome, uh, from God's perspective, it really doesn't matter if you're a garbage collector or a CEO. From God's perspective, it doesn't matter what school you went to. It doesn't matter whether you live in social housing or in Parliament House, Government House. Um, <laughs> your, uh, your parenting style, right? It doesn't qualify you. That's good news for me. Your, your uni marks don't qualify you. Your Instagram likes don't qualify you. Uh, actually, your very best is not enough to achieve God's honour. And it's interesting, I, I think at the same time, I find that quite hard to hear. That's hard hitting, isn't it? But it's kind of relieving as well. Um, Part of my own story and how I became a Christian as a late primary schooler was uh, this recognition that I was someone who wanted to be really good at everything. Uh, At that time, it was about being the the smartest kid in class 6E. And yet, I, I learnt that I couldn't do that with God, that He's too perfect, He's too glorious, He's too good to tolerate my feeble attempts at being perfect. What is your best? What is the thing that uh, you think? If God saw that, he'd be impressed. Well, the cross says, actually, that's not enough. It's even shameful. And yet the good thing is, as the cross brings us down, it also elevates some things. And uh, we'll see that in verse 27 to 30, that uh, that actually there's a flip side to the shame. And so we're at point two, Jesus' shame brings honour to the shameful have a look again at verses 27 to 30 and focus this time on who is honoured but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise Uh, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him Uh, see it's as God tears down human attempts at boasting, actually, we see something really extraordinary about God. And that is that, unlike us, God doesn't shirk shame. God does not cover over shame. God doesn't flee from shame or try and hush it up. Uh, rather, God is so great and glorious. We might say God is so secure in himself that he's willing to use something as shameful as execution to save people, and not just impressive people, but actually people who, like the cross, really are weak, foolish, lowly nothings. And he does that not because there's something in that weakness that he finds attractive, but because he is so big and glorious and strong that he can use even what is shameful to show his own majesty. Um, In Luke's Gospel that we read, uh, there's this little side story that goes on as, as Jesus is breathing his last breath. And next to Jesus on another cross, there's a, a criminal, and uh, he, like Jesus, was being humiliated. Uh, he was being subjected by the powers of his day to this awful fate. And like Jesus, really, he seemed to be a nobody, a nothing. He was headed to death. Unlike Jesus, he deserved it. And in the words of one Corinthians, this guy really was—he was a nothing, wasn't he? he? He was foolish. He was weak. He was despised. He was lowly. He was nothing. And yet, listen to the conversation that he has with Jesus as they're both dying. Uh, He looks to Jesus and Jesus has got this sign over his head which says, uh, the king of the Jews, and everyone else is saying that, ha, that that couldn't possibly be true. And yet this man somehow looks at that and and sees that it is true and he says to Jesus, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him, truly I tell you today you'll be with me In paradise. It's extraordinary, isn't it? That that somehow this man, himself humiliated beyond belief, turns and looks at his fellow sufferer and he sees a king. He sees a victorious king who might even be willing to share something of that kingship with him. And Jesus says, Yep, I am. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Friends, when the Son of God bore that shame, he achieved for us what our best could not. We see that 1 Corinthians 1, 30 to 31, the final bit of the passage. It says, Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. And so it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Um, Jesus' shame brought... What God desired from human beings. Uh, he redeemed them. He gave them a, a knowledge of Him, a right relationship with Him, accompanied by the kind of uh, things that He desired, moral perfection, righteousness, and holiness. And when, when someone comes to Christ, they gain these things that uh, Christ becomes for them these things, And we might even say, actually, that, that God honours those who come to Jesus. He doesn't honour them because of what they bring to the relationship. He, he honours the things that he gives them as they belong to him. He honours the wisdom he gives them, the righteousness, the holiness, the knowledge that saves, uh, the power he's given to be part of his family. So what we find is that actually in, in the, the horrible shame of the cross... In that utter brutality, that's where the key lies to real honour, real recognition, real significance before God. I um, used to work at a church in Sydney's eastern suburbs and uh, uh, on one side of the suburb, people lived in the most extraordinary houses They they had sea views that you could see out to the ocean. You could see from kind of Maroubra up to Bondi this spectacular section of coastline. And these people were incredibly um, people who mattered. They were people who were important in the eyes of the world. Now, on the other side of the suburb, there was a whole lot of social housing, and people who lived in that part of the suburb were very poor and often very broken. And we had our church kind of in the middle of all of that. Who do you think it was that was coming every week to hear about Jesus, uh, increasing in numbers, um, learning about Him and and getting saved? From God's perspective, um, everyone in that suburb actually needed the same thing. They all needed His honour, the honour that they couldn't get themselves. It's just that one half of the suburb saw that a little bit more quickly. Um, The cross says yes the person who feels deeply ashamed the cross says yes to the person who feels like a nothing the cross says yes to the person who is weak the person who is sick or dying uh, the person with a disability the mentally ill those who fail those who cannot achieve and the cross doesn't say yes because there's um, something in those things that is inherently horrible the cross says yes because jesus clothes them in his honor And he takes what is weak and and gives it great significance. And it also says yes to the person who um, has some things in their life that other people look at and go, that's kind of cool, but realizes that actually those things are garbage compared to what they get in Jesus. Um, Jesus' shame is our glory. Jesus' shame is, is my glory. For me, this is how do I know that I'm precious before God? How do I know that he loves me? How do I know that he cares for me? It's because of Jesus' shame. Friends, you long for honour. I think we we do, right? And and the wonderful message of the cross for our world is that we can find honour in the eyes of the one whose opinion matters more than anyone else. Not through struggle, achievement, hustle, perfectionism, but by coming to him with empty hands like the thief on the cross. And there's, a, there's a wonderful security, actually, about um, having your honour based on Jesus' shame. Because it, it doesn't go up and down. Uh, you know, you think about, um, say, uh, your, your Instagram kind of post. Uh, you know, the, the attention goes up and down. Uh, Jesus, the kind of honour that he gives us is not like that. It doesn't matter whether Jesus gets up on the right side of the bed or not. That's not how it works. It is safe always, even when we fail. Do you want that kind of security for your honor? Well, the wonderful thing is it's actually not that hard to get. I love that story about the thief on the cross because it says that um, if a thief being executed can find Jesus' honor, so can any of us. All you need to do is realize that actually your best is shameful before God, that only he can bring the kinds of things that you need for a relationship with him. I'm going to lead us now in a very short prayer, just uh, using the words of the thief on the cross. And uh, if you want that kind of honour, if you want to put your trust in Jesus, and if you already do, please um, say amen with me at the end. Amen just means I agree. Let me lead us together in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Amen.